Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show, brought to you by The Athletic UK. And today is a bit of an international break special. Of course, no direct Fulham game to discuss. So we're going to get into a topic that has been sent into us quite a lot this season uh, since the return of fans to grounds and since we've been allowed back at the cottage. Uh, we've had several questions this year wanting us to do a bit of a special look at the Craven Cottage atmosphere and potentially ways that it can be improved. And this question is something that does crop up every other year running a, a football club podcast, but it feels particularly pertinent right now to discuss this. With the Riverside opening in 2022, it gives the club and the fan base a unique opportunity to maybe correct some things uh, and to improve the vibe at Craven Cottage, which I'm sure is something that we all collectively would love to see. Uh, and here to discuss everything today with me is Chair of the Fulham Supporters Trust, Tom Greatchicks. Hello, Tom. Hi, Sammy. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Are you enjoying uh, a couple of weeks without having to be disappointed by Fulham? Uh, yes. <laughs> Especially after that Coventry game. I think yep. we all feel like a couple of weeks off, not the end of the world. Uh, and, mis- and Mr. Awada himself representing the back of H5, which I think is an important perspective to get on today's podcast, is Dom Betts. Hello, Dom. Hello, Sammy. How you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Uh, you are representative of the of the stand-up crew at the back of the Hammersmith end. This is a, a great responsibility that is being bestowed on your shoulders. Do you feel ready to do it? Of course, mate, of course. Okay, well, later on in the podcast, we're also going to be speaking to Andrew Lorne, who is part of the Along Come Norwich fanzine podcast, but also a supporter movement at Norwich. Uh, and then in association with a few other supporter groups at Carrow Road have been taken on themselves to try and improve the atmosphere, particularly in the Barclay end at Norwich, which is kind of equivalent of the Hammersmith end at Fulham. They've taken several different methods uh, to try and improve the atmosphere in there over the past few seasons. So we thought it'd be interesting to get Andrew on uh, to give his perspective on what's worked, what hasn't worked. And I like to think that Fulham and Norwich are quite similar clubs in their ethos, their fan base, etc., etc. Um, so certainly be great to hear from Andrew later on. But first of all, let's stick with Fulham. We've got loads of questions on this via Twitter as well, which I will put to you both uh, later on. But first of all, I think it would just be good to get a general perspective on how you feel about the atmosphere at Craven Cottage. Um, Dom, I will start with you. 
I feel like it must be a bit dispiriting sometimes for you guys that sit at the back of H5. And I'm not too far away. I'm in H4, but I'm definitely in kind of the sitting down territory, not the standing up territory, even though I'd like to be standing, but I would block the people behind me, so I can't really. It must be a little bit dispiriting sometimes. I feel like you guys put your heart and soul into trying to create an atmosphere, and obviously sometimes it falls, not literally, but figuratively on deaf ears. Yeah, I mean... I mean, if I just start with a funny example, I mean, I can't remember what it was. It might have been last season, the season before. I think H7 started a song and everyone's like, oh, someone else is uh, <laughs> getting involved. <laughs> I mean, as I said, at the back of H5, I've probably been there since 2011, 2012, maybe. Um, and yeah, we it's definitely, the what's, what's the, what's, what the different thing is, is from 2011, it's not the same people there who are making, who are doing it, who are, do, who, who are back of H5 now. Yeah, that's that's one thing that happens. It the people at the back of H five, it does change. So it's not like it's the same group trying to make the same app, trying to create an atmosphere for the last sort of ten years kind of thing. It it does change, but yeah, we always are trying to make as much noise as we can at the back. But I think one one thing that I've always thought is an atmosphere is always easier. It's going to be easy to create an atmosphere if you're at a front of a stand compared to if you're at the back of a stand. Because if you're at the back of a stand, yeah, you are making the noise, but then you've still got the front rows who aren't necessarily making the same amount. And I think if you look at any sort of where where teams have got a block of fans who are making noise, an example me and you spoke about, Sammy, was um, before we did this podcast was Huddersfield. Yeah. It's, it's the whole block, but it starts from the front and it makes its way towards the back. And I think that's important. I think if you look at any sort of fan base who have a, sort of scene section as you will or an area where they're the ones creating the atmosphere it always starts from the front and then makes its way back so I think when it's when it's at the back it sort of it seemed to be oh it's just the back that they can they can create the atmosphere and then that will reverberate around but you mentioned something about this season specifically in the Riverside it does seem the atmosphere does seem not as good as it has been in previous seasons where we have had the Riverside development I remember when the Riverside development was first going on and it was just the Putney end, Johnny Haynes and the Hammersmith. I said, the atmosphere sounds as good, if not better. So it's not like because the Riverside stand's been developed, that that's the reason why the atmosphere seems to be a bit subdued this season. I think it's multiple factors this season. I think I would, I actually, I think a lot of, the, a big factor this season is a lot of the people at the back of H5, and I include myself in this, they're not, this season, I haven't been there at every single game, every single home game anyway. Obviously, I've, I've been at every single away game this season. But um, so I think that that that's an important point to make regarding this season. Maybe because not everyone who's been at the back of H5 sort of the last decade or so isn't been there at every single home game this season. It's um, it's having an effect because it's sort of giving people. It's not like you have like a ringleader and like ten other people who are trying to create the atmosphere every season. So. I think there's multiple factors, but I think this season in particular, you could say it's not been as buzzing in the in the Hammersmith as it has been in previous seasons, even without yeah. the Riverside stand. Um, Tom, you have a unique perspective on this because you're the part of the Fulham Supporters Trust, and I'm sure atmosphere is something that comes up in your meetings and discussions a lot. But also, you are in the Putney end because you are a displaced Riverside season ticket holder. Um and I was surprised when I went to sit for the Leeds game um, at the other end of the Johnny Haynes. And look, Leeds was a unique example. They took an awful lot of fans and 
Fulham fans didn't really care too much about a third round Carabao Cup tie against a Premier League team that we played our reserves in. But it was noticeable that I found it very, very hard to hear anything from the Hammersmith end until maybe the final five minutes. So what is it you've been your perspective having to sit for a couple of seasons in the Putney end on what the Craven Cottage atmosphere is like all around the ground? Because you hear game after game after game, away supporters come out of the ground at Craven Cottage saying, we didn't hear the Hammersmith end the whole game. And we find that surprising because we're like, oh, I thought we made quite a bit of noise at that part of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, fact, a feature of the the way the um, the ground is configured is from the Putney end, you don't hear that much um, coming from the Hammersmith end. Although I have to say, um, I've noticed this season in the few games we've had, hearing a little bit more or a bit better, more clearly, um, than I can remember a couple of years ago when we were last regularly in the ground. And I don't know, but I think that might be because the Riverside development has got to the stage where effectively the, the sort of corners are more closed in. I think that might have some impact, but I think it probably comes down to, um, and a few years ago, we we did quite a bit of work on this as a trust and got the club for doing some studies on it and various things. And I think it's a bit of it is to do with the um, the angle, the rake, the angle of the seats in the Hammersmith end compared to the Putney end as well, means that the bit at the back, so the back of H5, um, is further away from the pitch than the back of the Putney end and uh, the sound doesn't carry that well. That I think that is definitely a factor. Um, uh, and, you know, from, from a Putney end uh, vantage point, you don't often hear everybody. The, the time when you get an atmosphere, and I've been in the Putney end at times when the old Riverside stand was still there for various games, um, is, you know, when it might start in the Hammersmith end, but then spreads around the sides as well. And that's when you really get the, you know, the atmosphere is like the Derby playoff game and games like that where, um, actually you do get a, a good atmosphere going. And I think it's the transfer from whoever's starting it to the rest of the ground that doesn't happen quite as well, I think, at the moment because of because of the way the ground's configured. And obviously, with the changes that are happening, there is a potential opportunity to, to, to address that more fundamentally than just saying, oh, it's all too difficult, which sort of has been aligned to date. Often the line peddled is, well, the Riverside's coming, so there's not much point in fixing it. And as I said at the top, I think that's why there does seem like a unique opportunity if people start thinking about it now to actually change for the better what the what the Craven Cottage atmosphere is like. And um, Tom, you referenced that match day atmosphere report, and I've got it here. It's um, from 2017 on the Fulham Supporters Trust uh, website. I can put a link to it in the um, description of the podcast. And it, it's an interesting one that I'd kind of forgotten was done. They got a company called Vanguardia uh, to come in and do a report on the atmosphere at Craven Cottage. I think a lot of people have been convinced that the open corners for years is where the uh, the Hammersmith End atmosphere was lost. Um, without completely reading this article to you, in summary, they didn't feel like that had a big impact on it at all. And actually the biggest impact of why the Hammersmith then was often struggled to be heard was the distance from the pitch. Uh, uh, Fans at the back of the Hammersmith end are approximately 35 to 40 metres from the pitch. Conversely, the Putney stand has a steeper seating rake and a shorter distance of only 20 to 25 metres from back row to the pitch side. Don, this isn't something I'd necessarily really notice that we are that much further from the pitch than the Putney end. It does go along way to explaining though what you're saying is like you uh, you guys at the very back of the stand like 35 40 meters is quite a long way to shout um let alone chant 
Um, and then you've got to go the rest of the stadium as well. It's not surprising with design aspects like that, that actually maybe the Hammersmith end isn't the best designed end in terms of producing a great atmosphere. I think if you talk to anyone about Hammersmith stand, stand everyone's going to, not even just in regard to, to, to the travelling of sound, it just isn't a very good design stand anyway. Yeah. But I think, I think it go, that, and then that also goes back to the point I made at the beginning about if the atmosphere is at the front, it, it sort of makes it, and it, I think when, when fans are at the front, if you take it as an away game, for example, if fans are making noise at the front, it sort of travels throughout the rest of the sand and the rest of the sand we're making noise because everyone, talk, everyone talks about, oh, the atmosphere at Graham Court isn't that good. But I think the most, most frustrating thing for us is we know it can be because there has been games where it has been electric in there. You know, you, you think about the Derby playoff game. I, I, think, I even think about um, the, even the, the 2-2 against, I think it was the 2-2 against Brentford, whenever it was. That even, even I know we could see it in the last minute, but it was a good atmosphere that day. You know, when we got the last minute equalised against Leeds in sixteen seventeen, like it, it there can. This is the most frustrating thing for us at the back of H five is there can be a good atmosphere, but for some reason, a lot of the people who sit in Hammersmith and sort of in the, I'd say in the lower half of it, seem to can only they only seem to get involved and get up for it for the big games. And I mean, if if you want the atmosphere to be better, it need, you can't just get up for it for a playoff game or a game against a big team. It needs to be. Whether you're playing Reading at home or whether you're or whether you're playing Chelsea at home, it, like it, it needs to be, you need to want to create an atmosphere, no matter what, no matter what the game is. And you you can talk about the distance between the um, back of the stand to the front of the stand, yes. But I think, but if you think about an away end, an away end is going to be have, as I said, have noise being made throughout. It's not just going to be um, from 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 the back of the stands. I think that makes a difference that in the Hammersmith. Is predominantly just the back of the stand trying to make noise, whereas it's the way, the way end. You've got the entirety of the well, I think it's sixteen hundred allocation at the moment is what we're giving teams in the league from the front to the back. So I think that, yeah, we need. I think fans just they want to create an atmosphere. It's more. It's, there's things you can do, and we, we'll, we'll get onto that in regard to, you know, other support organisations. I mean, I'm part of one who try and improve the atmosphere at Wembley games, and it is about liaising with. Uh, for for example, for for us, it's the FA and for for Fulham fans, it'd be um, obviously Fulham Football Club. So it is it is about liaising with the club in regard to there's certain things you can do that can help create an atmosphere in regard to displays pre-game, and you know that can get people excited. And if you start the game well, then the the, atmos- the atmosphere will continue. But I think for us, it's not that our oh, Fulham fans never make any noise. Like we can, it's just for some reason in the generic sort of Saturday three o'clock Championship game. A lot of a lot of fans seem to be happy to sit sit on their hands and not make much noise. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's an important point, though, Dom. You know, that you said there that you know you want to create an atmosphere. We've got to, I think, acknowledge that some people do. Quite a lot of people don't necessarily want to create the atmosphere. You know, if the atmosphere is there, they'll join in with it, but they're not going to be the instigators of it. And you know, for what you talk about in relation to England, what you've seen at other clubs, at you know Crystal Palace in recent times and various others. Um, it's about trying to uh, concentrate that that group and how you can best use what you've got in terms of facilities to to instigate it. Because the best one in the world, you are not going to get, you know, even if we did have three o'clock games again rather than 12.30s the whole time, I don't think you're going to get 15,000, 16,000 Fulham fans all wanting to instigate the atmosphere. They want to enjoy it and be part of it, but they're not the people that are going to start it off. And I think that's that's a, that's that's what the challenge is. 
Um, and, you know, I think I think there are ways to address it um, and there can be ways to address it, as we've seen in other places. But we're not going to get everybody creating the atmosphere, I don't think. Yeah. OK, right. We've got some uh, questions and suggestions from Twitter. So we'll take a short break and we'll get into them after this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, a Craven Cottage atmosphere special, and I'm joined by Don Betts. Hello, hello. And Tom Greatrex. Hi there. Okay, let's get into some of your questions and suggestions that have come in via Twitter. And there is some great debate that has been had uh, since we put up this tweet uh, a few days ago. So thank you to everyone who has put in suggestions. Um, This first one, Tom, I feel like there are too many people to actually uh, credit with mentioning it, but there has been a lot of people. uh, Charlie Jones has said it. uh, Piers Cotty Jones has said it. And there's been a few others as well. I'm sorry if I didn't get around to your name asking about the placement of away fans. And this is something that, as far as I know, hasn't been confirmed once the Riverside is in. Lots of people suggesting potentially the Johnny Haynes, all of the Europa League matches, a few people with, um, I can't see it happening, an idea of putting them in, in certain stands of the Riverside as well. Uh, people have talked for years about switching the Hammersmith and the Putney ends. I think that idea is fairly moot. People are asking about the placement of away fans. What do you know um, from your kind of FST hat as to what is going to happen next year? Are all options still on the table? Um, I don't know anything in terms of any certainty. We have raised it and talked about it a few times. I mean, there's there's a couple of things to bear in mind. One is that um, for league games, it's, it's more for cup games, but for league games, um, you have to provide about 10% of your capacity, league capacity for away fans. So at the moment, um, because our capacity is reduced, it's that those I think it's two blocks in the part of the end. It's about eighteen hundred, which is about ten percent of the capacity. So, yeah. you know, once that once that Riverside stand is open, the capacity is twenty eight, twenty nine thousand. That means about three thousand. Um, if you're going to do it in the Putney end, that means uh, you know half to two thirds of the Putney end would be effectively the um, the away capacity. If you try to do that in the Stevenage Road stand. You would, I think the problem with that is you would end up using most of that stand and you've got a lot of people there have been a long time. Um, it's, you know, it has been, you know, a place that people have been for, for all their time watching Fulham. I think, I don't think that'd be workable with the Europa League games. If you remember, it was a very small bit of it because you could have a, you had an even smaller capacity you had to give to away fans. So that's the way it was done for that. And it was to do with the segregation for UEFA regulation. So that's why that was different. So I don't think, uh, Stevenage Road stand is is likely or realistic. Um, um, I think the other thing to bear in mind in relation to the Putney end is one of the issues why we had the 
neutral area alongside the away fans um, was not just about, you know, not being able to sell tickets or everything else that people would take the mick about, but partly was because there is no segregation in the concourse between those two areas. And if you have a hard area segregation between home fans and away fans in the same stand, you're supposed to have completely segregated concourse. And we don't have that at the moment. Now, I'm not absolutely sure whether, I think it's the case, but that as part of the development of the Riverside stand, that, that can be addressed. So you then could have home fans and away fans in that same end, but not necessarily giving the away fans the, the whole end. But sorry, to make this even more complicated, the other factor is, um, and Fulham will say this and this, we saw this with the Leeds game, you know, where there was a lot of demand for Leeds fans, a lot more, lot more than, than there was for Fulham fans. And Fulham gave the whole of the Putney end to Leeds. And there was a bit of, people were a bit upset about that. But actually, from a Fulham football club perspective and selling seats and not having empty seats, if they'd only given them part of that end, you wouldn't have had anywhere near the number of people in the ground that day. We'd have more Leeds fans in the home areas uh, as they already were anyway. So all those factors into account, I think um, the likelihood is probably the away end will still be the Putney end. Um, whether it needs to be the whole of that end or not is dependent upon whether you can segregate the concourses. And there's another factor to bear in mind coming towards us, which will be the opportunity potentially to have um, what's called safe standing, but rail seating into into the ground as well. And if you do that, you have to do it for home fans and away fans. So under the new regulations. So there are all those factors in play, but I think most likely, hasn't been confirmed, but most likely the away fans will stay in the part in the end. Not sure yet whether it will be the whole of that end um, or part of that end. I mean, Dom... One suggestion that has been banded around for a long time is trying, once the Riverside is, is properly built and everyone can move back to their seats in the Riverside, is trying to create some sort of home vocal end in the Putney end, closer to the away fans and maybe encouraging um, youngest fans with cheaper seats um, to move to that end. And therefore you would get that kind of like back and forth home fan, away fan atmosphere that you get at most grounds. I feel like these days, nearly all that you go to, there seems to be a hardcore home end behind the main goal or whatever, similar to how we have the Hammersmith end. But then there often feels like just next to the away fans, sometimes it's a big crowd, sometimes it's three or four idiots, but there always seems to be a small section of fans who are really like being next to the away fans so they can wave your arms at them when they miss a chance or something like that. Is that something that you think is workable at Fulham, realistic? Um, do we have the kind of scope in the fan base do we have the volume in the fan base to actually achieve something like that could it potentially just detract from what what's being tried to be generated in the hammersmith end i think like the 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 idea itself is a good one but i I just don't think you're going to get the people to move from the back of h5 h6 h4 to move to the partner because they've been at the back of h5 h4 for for as long as i've been going craven cottage so like i think the only way you'd get them to move to the Putney end or fans who want to make that sphere to move to the Putney end next to the away fans is what Tom has just said. If the only place there is royal seating slash safe standing in the ground is in the Putney end, that might be a way you'd be able to get fans who want to create an atmosphere to move to that stand. If that was mm-hmm. the only stand in the ground, that, that would have safe standing slash rail seating. Um, because I think that, that's the only way you're going to get people to move there. If that's the only place where that sort of seating is available in the ground. And it it is... It does work in other grounds. As I say, Huddersfield is a good example of it. Um, 
I mean, and, and in regards to Huddersfield, it's never really animosity, to be fair. Every time we go to Huddersfield, we seem to, we seem to get along with them quite well, either laughing at Leeds United when we beat them 4-1, or even the last time when we played them beginning of the season, where obviously the Mitrovic goal, where the goalkeeper was two yards out of play and hit Mitrovic on the arm and went in, and then the replay comes on in the ground. Everyone can see what what gone on, and we're having a bit of a laugh about it. And I, but I think that it, it, it is that. But again, I still as as we saw it, we saw it briefly away at Coventry. There, to, to our sort of right hand side, that was their sort of predominantly singing section. But then you look at and and you know, there's other teams like Reading have a few fans in, in that corner. But I think the only way you're going to get people to move from the Hammersmith because it's it's what they know and it's what they love is, as I said, rail seating. Because I don't, I just don't, I just don't see a huge amount of people want to move to the Putney end just to try and create an atmosphere next to the way fans because then we, we just have a, enough to try and create an atmosphere, atmosphere sorry, in the Hammersmith end. So I think it is going to be tough to try and create that. It works at some clubs, but it doesn't necessarily work at all. Yeah, I agree. And I think there is also an element of when these clubs do put a big amount of home fans next to the away fans, it's great. But actually, the rest of the ground can be effective. And sometimes there is not much noise coming from behind the goal because all, you've put all your vocal fans just next to the away fans so they can goad you. And do you want the same thing at Fulham? I think maybe the only way this could potentially work is if you try and encourage new fans to the Putney end. So if you're under 23, you're getting your first season ticket because mum and dad have allowed you to go. And actually under 23s, under 24s can get a season ticket that is, you know, much, much cheaper in the Putney end than it is in the Hammersmith end. Then potentially you don't try and entice Hammersmith people to move to Putney end. You just tr- create new fans that that go there. Tom, do you think the club would ever be interested in a, in a scheme like this, trying to entice younger fans into into the Putney end, or do you think they will mostly be interested in trying to entice families, if anything? Um, I well, they'll be interested in trying to entice more ha- more fans in. You know, you've got to remember that our capacity will relatively soon go up to the largest it's ever been, or, or largest it's been since certainly since we've had seating in them. Um, in the ground. So, um, and they want to sell the seats. So, um, you know, there'll be the supply and demand issues that, um, that everyone will, everyone has to grapple with. So I think that that's where the opportunity lies to try to convince the club of looking at some of these different things. Um, the only thing I would say with, with, with the suggestion you've just made is that I'm not absolutely convinced that even if you had, you know, the cheapest tickets were in that area and they were cheaper still for people under 23, under 24, that would necessarily mean that those would be the people that would instigate and create the noise. Um, I think that actually there's a much there's much a broader group of people who are who are good at that, who are into doing that, who see that as part of what they what they do. Um, and I suspect it's more likely having to to for it to be successful if you could actually persuade and convince a group of people to do that upheaval and that's uh to relocate to make that happen as you know has happened in some other clubs where they've moved from different bits of the grounds will be together and some people might say well that makes it a bit artificial but you know if it's about trying to to instigate that atmosphere maybe that's the way to do things i'm not convinced necessarily if you have people who are getting their first season ticket at a lower rate in that area that they wouldn't be people who would sit down during the whole of the game or you know spend their time as i saw someone doing the other day in the putney end watching the other scores on their phone and occasionally looking up to see what was happening, you know, not, not necessarily going to be the people that will create the atmosphere. 
No, very, very fair point. I think John's point on rail seating, if that was the only option was the Putney end, I think you would get a lot of people wondering, oh, okay, now that changes the, the experience. Um, it does seem from the FST notes that the club haven't seemed to got much interest in rail seating. A um, few more questions before we go to Andrew. Um, I Don't Care has said this. A lot of people have said this. Uh, Archie80 has said it. Get rid of the clappers. Uh, Dom, I feel quite strongly that adults do not need bits of folded cardboard to make noise. I, I, the, my caveat is I think it's great for kids because yeah, it's fun. It's a fun thing. I don't want to take away, well, you know, a lot of like, I took my nephew to a game. He wasn't really interested in the football. He loves having a bit of cardboard to bash around. Um, you know, I, I don't want to take it away from like young children who do enjoy it, but also I just don't think it helps the atmosphere at all because everyone just bashes a clapper rather than actually tries to make any other noise. Yeah, I mean, no one at the back of H5 or H4 uses them. I mean, they, they're, they're used, they're either like ripped up and thrown to annoy other people or just absolutely, or just lob somewhere. Like no one, or just keep kept under your seat. Like no one, no one, no one who's, who's trying to instigate an atmosphere uses them. I mean, yeah, I don't, I understand like, yeah, as I said, for young, young, young kids, they are interesting because if they're not, if they're not that remotely interested in the game yet, they, they as I said, you've got, they've got a bit of cardboard to whack around. But yeah, I don't, the people saying, oh, it helps, it doesn't help create an atmosphere because it's just a really annoying noise that no one wants to hear. I mean, there's, there's every club who uses a clapper, that atmosphere always gets described as not being that good. Every team who's got a good atmosphere isn't a team using a clapper. I mean, clappers to me stick out as mainly us. I think Leicester have used them before and Reading have used them before. It's just, it, 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 it makes a noise, but it doesn't necessarily create an atmosphere. I think there's a, I think there's, there's a, there's the difference. There's a, there's a substantial difference between the two. Yeah. I'm, I've never been a fan of them. I've never seen, never seen the point of them really. I mean, it, it said it just makes an, it just makes a noise that no one really wants to hear. It doesn't actually create an atmosphere, you know. And and, and let's say we we get a corner, for example, and everyone's banging their clapper. It sometimes drowns out chance that people are trying to start at that corner itself because the noise is just a massive racket, basically. So yeah, I'm I'm I've never been for the clappers, and I never will. And I, I, I mean, I went, I've seen people bring them to and away day. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, like, I was like, why have you brought a clapper from like Reading at home or something? And brought it to like the next away. Yeah, I, I don't. I just don't. I just don't see it. I think that you know, it's. It, I, I, we, we go back to the point. And it's. I was. I wasn't trying to make the point about sixteen thousand people trying to make an atmosphere. But like, there needs to be more than just the back of H five and eight. There's got to be more people. You know, considering that, for example, away from home, Coventry, we take what two thousand fans. Blackpool, we take two thousand fans. But then I got onto this point yesterday, uh, in the, in a conversation that actually our best atmosphere away from home is probably when we're not actually bringing 2,000 or 3,000 fans, actually. It's probably when we're bringing, I'd say, 750 to 1,000. It's probably when that's, yeah, because there's 750 to 1,000 people who just want to be at the game, support Fulham, whether it's in you know, the Midlands or up north or whatever, who's trying to create an atmosphere. Sometimes, you know, our your generic London away games, so I'm talking in the Premier League, so I'm talking about going to Arsenal or Spurs or uh, West Ham. The atmosphere is not that good because a lot of people there are just there because from the playing away in London and then and they're, they're sort of the similar fans who'd be there at home who necessarily aren't the fans there who want to be creating atmosphere. Where if, you, if you've got 750 to 1,000 away at Huddersfield, for example, or away at, you know, Sheffield Wednesday, you know, these fans are there and these are, these are and, you know, the example I've used from the season is Birmingham away midweek in the league. Yeah. We, we, played, Blackpool, we played Blackpool away about three days earlier 
and we had nearly, nearly three times as many fans there. And the atmosphere was better when there's only 700 there. So I think, and I think that that, that, that was because in that away end, as, as we saw, Sam, we were all concentrated into a specific area. It wasn't like we were spread out throughout the stand. Mm. And I think that's 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 what I was making. That's the point I was making about atmosphere starting from the front. If you're all in a concentrated area, then the atmosphere is going to be better. If you're sort of if you've got someone trying to make noise on the far left, someone on the far right, someone at the back trying to make noise, it doesn't work. It needs to be in a concentrated area. Then if there's the noise coming from that concentrated area, that will then feed throughout to the to the rest of the away end or home end. If you were if the home end was at the front, for example. So I think it, it there is. It's not like we, we our fans just don't make an answer. We do have fans who like doing it. It's just it's sort of about harnessing the group of people who do and how we can use that to create an atmosphere and the rest of the ground basically. Tom, just quickly on clappers, how what is the club's response on this? I mean, a couple of other people also said bloody environmentally friendly as well in 2022. Yeah. We've also sound without trying to sound like some sort of woke warrior here. It isn't the best, is it? And what's the club's response been on this? I know there have been several managers down the years. I believe it was Slavisa Jukanovic that loved them. I might be getting that wrong, but certainly there have been managers that have specifically wanted clappers in the ground. Is it just something that the club do because they've always done it? Um, I think it's something, I mean, it comes up every now and again and we do, we do raise it. And, um, you know, a number of our members are, don't like them for similar reasons. You've just, you've just expressed, although I have to say, I find it astonishing how many people, adults you see using them and yeah. clapping, you know, it's not just the kids that kids that, um, that use them during a game. Um, I think the club position is that they're, you know, they're broadly popular with a lot of the fans, not necessarily the people who are on this podcast today or in the members of the trust. Um, and that they they do make a noise, and I accept exactly entirely and agree with Dom's point about the difference between noise and atmosphere. But they do make a noise, and so um, so they carry on doing it. Um, I've got no indication of them uh, having a, a rethink. There was a there was a few games I think where we didn't have them. I think was that just after we got officially relegated a couple of years ago. I can't remember, but there was a few games where they seemed to sort of disappear, but then they were back again. Um, and I, I don't I don't see them sort of changing. Um, uh, and yeah, also, yeah, they aren't particularly environmentally friendly there. The cardboard is not recyclable because it's coated in plastic anyway. Um, so, um, yeah, they're not the best for the environment. They're not the best for cre- organically creating atmosphere, but they do create a noise. And um, and so I think for that reason, they'll carry on, carry on with them, I suspect. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get Andrew Lorne on from Along Come Norwich to talk about the work that they've done at Carrow Road to try and improve the atmosphere there. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here, joined by Tom Greatrix and Don Betts. And we're also now joined by Andrew Lorne from Along Come Norwich uh, to talk a little bit about the work that's been undertaken in the last few years by Norwich fans to improve the atmosphere there. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. 
I would say enemy territory, but I feel like Fulham and Norwich get along. I don't think there's there's much, apart from the fact we just are in alternating divisions forever. We'll never play each other again because we'll just be in an eternal loop of playing in the Premier League and Championship. Yeah, I think that's right. We won't play each other again, so there's no need to have any rivalry. Um, Norwich have a terrible record at Fulham as well, so uh, there isn't any rivalry, but there's also no great love of a trip to Craven Cottage. No, I, I, I've heard lots about the, uh, the, the Craven Cottage curse um, for, for, for Norwich fans, um, which I'm cheering you on because I'm thinking if Norwich can do it, if Norwich can somehow do it, then maybe Fulham stand a chance one day <laughs> of trying to stir up in the Premier League. Um, Andrew, uh, I, I've, I've talked about a little bit earlier on this podcast about the work that Along Come Norwich as well as Barclay and Norwich have done to try and improve the atmosphere in the Barclay end, which is kind of the spiritual home of Norwich fans if I'm if I'm not mistaken yeah absolutely that's always been kind of the traditional vocal end of Carrow Road um there's another little area that's got the nickname of the snake pit which is the corner next to the Barclay um kind of opposite where the away fans sit but yeah the Barclay's always been kind of the spiritual end and it became I think as it is in a lot of English football it became quite stale four or five years ago and it almost felt like people were turning up at three o'clock on a Saturday because that's what they'd always done. And there was yeah. no kind of enjoyment of going to the football and seeing your mates and, and having fun. It was more like turning up, expecting to be entertained. And then if you didn't win 3-0, booing and going home. And there was no kind of joy to that. It felt like a real chore. So yeah, we, me and uh, my friend John wanted to try and do something about it. So that's where the kind of campaign came from, was rather than just keep talking about how this isn't very good, what can we do to help make it better? So what did you do? What was the plan then to try and resurrect this slightly stale atmosphere in the Barclay end at Norwich? What were the initiatives that you could put in place? Because we just spent the podcast uh, before you joined talking about potential different ways, but every way seems to have its drawbacks. Um, it, it's There's no perfect solution to generating atmosphere. Um, so, so what was it that you guys did that you felt has either been successful or not successful? I don't, I don't know how well you think it's gone. I presume you think it's gone all right because you wouldn't be here talking about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, it's gone pretty well. And I think you're right. There's no... There's no way to guarantee that you'll create atmosphere because by its kind of nature, it's quite organic. It depends a little bit on the context of the game, the expectations of the season. And there's lots of stuff sort of built up in what makes a good atmosphere that you can't control. What we did was a number of small things. Basically, we took loads and loads of baby steps. The first one was that through Barclay and Norwich, we organised a few evenings to go and watch the under-21s and the under-18s when they had games at Carrow Road. And the reason we did that was, at, at the moment, Carrow Road's season ticket uh, waiting list is huge. And you can't really or easily move seats. So we found on first-team games, people who wanted to sing were physically separated from each other by people who'd kind of been there forever and had kind of grown tired of creating that atmosphere. So the under-21 and the under-18 games gave us the opportunity to get all of those people together in one little core. Um, and for those, there was much less restrictions in terms of standing during the game or having flags and stuff like that. So that gave us a real good opportunity to kind of set the scene as to what it could be like if we got everyone together in one small group, how much noise could we make? As even if it's only 20, 30 of us, how much of a difference can that make? And they were really successful. So they started off with sort of 20 or 30 and then 
during the game, you'd see sort of children watching with their parents and they'd be looking over and then asking their parents if they could come over and sort of stand near us and join in. And we made a real effort that all of the songs that we'd sing on those games were uh, family friendly, if you like. So all the swear words were stripped out and all of that sort of stuff was taken away so that kids felt that they could come and get involved and parents felt that their kids could come and get involved. And that created a really nice atmosphere because it was really sort of jovial and carnivalesque. There was none of that sort of hatred or anything toxic. It was just, let's go and support the team and have a laugh. And the club saw what we were doing and kind of, I think they trusted us a little bit more. So then when we said, can we bring the flags that we're having at the under 21 games into the first team games and kind of make it a, a similar kind of vibe, if you like. And at first they were a little bit resistant uh, there's a lot more regulations around making stuff fire retardant and not having poles because they can be deemed as weapons. And there was all sorts of loopholes that we had to jump through and lots and lots of discussions with the club. But ultimately, we got to a point where they allowed us 40 or 50 flags in the ground. And then slowly, as, as we kind of proved that we could do it and we could do it safely and people weren't going to lob them at players when they came over to take a corner, we were allowed to kind of expand that. And we got to a point where every single seat in the Barclay on, on a normal game outside of COVID would have a flag on it. We had some uh, great big sort of 10 foot surfers with metal poles that was absolutely not allowed at, at the start, but we kind of proved that we could be trusted with them. And then we got some surfers. So some like managed to do some big TFOs and we just sort of slowly built it up kind of step by step by lots and lots of conversations with the club. It's not always been easy by any stretch of the imagination. It's, it's often a real chore and there's been four or five times where different members of the group have had to be uh, talked down from, no, I'm not doing this anymore. They can get stuffed. Uh, we're going on strike type thing because it's, it's not easy. It's not a case of we say, oh, can we do this? And the club say, yeah, absolutely. Here you go. Um, so it's been a real kind of battle, if you like, but it's getting better all the time and it has made an effect. So it's made it more fun. It's made it more of an event to go to the football. You can see kind of kids are enjoying it again. And I think that then feeds into the game and the atmosphere is, is better because everyone's in a better mood essentially. So it's, it's yeah, it's been successful. It's not perfect. And it's, it, we're still quite a long way from where we'd like to be, but it's much, much better than it was. Do you think that relationship with the club is the most important thing when it, in regard to improving the atmosphere, because I said, I've mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm part of an England supporters group who tries to do similar things at Wembley games. Um, so we, we have, we've had crowd surfers. In the last game, we had a we, had, we worked with a few organisations and worked with the FA to get the, the banner that said stand tall with a picture of Sancho, Saka and, and, and Rashford. And I just, I, and we've got a great relationship with the, the, support, the sports, people who run the sports club from the FA. And I think that's always been key in trying to improve that, especially when you, when you talk about crowd surfers, crowd flyers, you know, flags, TIFO displays, etc. Do you think it is trying to, once you, it's about, first of all, creating that relationship with the club so they give you the, they trust you and give you that responsibility to, so they know you're, you're actually, you're not there to try and cause trouble, you're just there to try and improve the atmosphere at the game, which is good for all parties, really. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. And where we, where we were kind of lucky was very early on, we got the support of Delia. And we got the support of Stuart Webber when he came in. Um, and having that support at the very top of the club was really, really helpful because what we found, um, and you might have found this also with England, is that the people at the very top want you to 
want you to do it and want you to do everything you can to improve the atmosphere. The next people down are the people who are ultimately responsible for the safety of people at Cow Road. And it's their responsibility that stuff doesn't get thrown on the pitch. So it's all well and good for Delia to say, yes, I absolutely love this. Please do everything you can. But at the end of the day, it's not Delia's responsibility if something does go wrong. So building up that trust and it took, it took time. And when you get new people coming in, you, you kind of start from scratch again. But it's absolutely essential. I think you're absolutely right. You need that. You need that relationship with the club. You need to show that you're not just a bunch of hooligans. You are there because you want it to be to be better for everyone. And I also think that's a really difficult balance. Um, so football chanting has always been kind of the thing that I'm most interested in. Um, I recently had a book published on kind of the history of it called We Lose Every Week. And the, the reason that I wrote that book was that as a football fan, I absolutely want to go to a game and as a home fan make it as hostile and as intimidating for the opposition as possible but I don't want it to be toxic or to be abusive or to be have any of that other stuff that is associated with football chanting like racism and homophobia and all of those horrible things that nobody wants to see at a football ground and a big part of what we are trying to get across right from the start was yes football chanting and football fans have this kind of reputation of being nasty but that isn't what we want we want it to be hostile but it doesn't have to be hostile and nasty at the same time there is a difference and we can make it loud we can make it really inclusive as well but it can still be hostile but you kind of have to prove that because there's no there's no media case study of a club that has a really really loud really really hostile atmosphere that doesn't also come with this backstory of arrests, racist abuse, homophobic abuse, et cetera, et cetera. So proving that kind of point that we could do it well was really difficult. Can I ask just, um, you said before about at the start about people, you know, being physically separated, the people that were interested in doing that. Did you make any efforts or were you able to um, get people to change their seats or did the club help to do that? Is that one aspect of being able to get people so you had them physical proximity to make it work yeah absolutely and um the club were then quite good in that so they did offer a scheme whereby season ticket holders were free to move their season ticket seat if they wished to other areas of the ground um, and we tried to create this idea that these particular two blocks in the lower Barclay would be expected to be kind of loud and and if you didn't want to be part of that that was absolutely fine you had that choice but then if you moved somewhere else and you let someone who wanted to be part of that come in. Um, so the club were really good in putting that on and advertising it. We also continued to do things like the under 21 games, but whenever we had an FA cup game or a Carabao cup game where season ticket seats weren't applicable, we made a real effort to say, well, can we have a block that is kind of known as the singing section, if you like. And that kind of activity, I think gets, gets quite a lot of scorn poured on it on like Twitter and stuff, you're like, oh, you need a singing section. That isn't how it used to be in the 70s. Well, yeah, it didn't. But it is essential now. Like you need to get these people together because on a terrace, it's absolutely easy to move across and stand with somebody else. In, a seat, in an all-seated stadium, that isn't the case. So you do need to kind of set these, set these areas aside that the kind of the code of behavior is kind of established before you go. And I think that's important for two reasons. One, it allows you to get like-minded people together so those people don't have that physical 
separation from each other. But two, another problem with all-seater stadiums is people who want to sit, if they sit and someone stands in front of them, they can't see the game. And that isn't really fair on anybody. That's not fair on the person sitting because they've paid for a seat and they can't see the game. And it's not fair on the person in front of them who wants to stand and sing and be part of it, but can't because by doing so, you're blocking someone else's view. So by establishing these kind of areas where you say, in this area, you're going to be expected to stand and sing. And in this area, you can sit and watch the game. Then it allows people to make that choice. And I think that's really important because you don't want to get to a position where you're saying, all fans must behave like this. You have to come, you have to sing, you have to stand because not everyone wants to do that. Mm. So can you create that choice where you say, if you want to do that, here's where you go. And if you don't, you go over here. And how did the relationship work between um, Along Come Norwich, which is what you are part of, which seems a bit similar to Fulhamish. It's a, it's a podcast, it's a fanzine. Um, and then you kind of got like, it seems to me from the outside, Barclay and Norwich, who are mostly just interested in atmosphere and then other Norwich City stakeholders. I don't know if you have a supporters trust. I assume you do. How did you get all of the different supporter factions working together? And did they all work together? Did they all buy into this or is there factions of the Norwich supporter base that wanted to do it their way um, and, and not and not get involved with what you guys were doing. Yeah, no, it was a lot of communication, essentially, it was this is this is what we this is what we want to do and this is why we want to do it. The way it worked with kind of a long term knowledge and Barclay and knowledge was, as you say, we were we're very similar to Fulhamish. It's a podcast, it's a website, we write articles, we do fanzines. Um, whereas Barclay and Norwich were very, very big on promoting safe standing and the introduction of that into English football. So they'd kind of become known as a campaign group for atmosphere, but almost on a kind of one issue, we'd like safe standing in the Barclay for all the reasons we've spoken about, really. Um, so when we came along and we were also talking about atmosphere, they already had kind of the contacts within the club and they kind of knew how to organise campaigns. And we had a kind of presence and a voice and a way to talk about these things rather than just say we want this that we could explain why we wanted it and why it was important uh, we do have a supporters trust so the canaries trust um again it's it's a, i guess it's like fulham in that it's not a massive club so everyone kind of knows everyone you get to know the, the faces and the people that you need to be speaking to and it was just a case of talking to them and explaining that this is what we want to do. We don't want to step on anyone's toes, but this is why we feel that what we want to do is important. And we were lucky that they kind of agreed and said, yeah, we, we agree. How can we help? Um, they're quite good at communicating stuff. So if we have a crowd surfer, for example, that's going to affect a lot of people, they will tell everyone. And we are also lucky with the local press as well. So uh, the Eastern Daily Press and the Pinkin, which is their football spin out, were really, really good as well in terms of communicating what we were doing, why we were doing it, interviewing us. Um, and they also helped promote a, a fundraiser. So that was the other thing we needed. We needed money to buy all these flags and stuff. So one surfer, I think, is about £4,500. And no one's got £4,500 in, the, in their back pocket that they can just waste on that. So we needed to get the buy-in of, of people to sort of chip in and donate and buy merchandise and stuff. So... Yeah, it was just lots and lots of communication, lots and lots of talking to people and saying, this is what we want to do. Can you help? Can I just ask on, on you know, safe standing? And you mentioned it referred to the, you know, that being part of the part of one of the group's sort of uh, main focus. That now is going to happen. And from August of next season, any club can 
can do that. But some of the stipulations are that you can't block anyone's view, so it means the safe standing areas are likely to be at the back rather than the front of blocks. Do you think? How do you think that will impact on what you do and how you might evolve what you do? Well, in the conversations that we've had with the club, they're they're very keen to kind of involve us in in that process. So they are keen to install it, um, and they're currently scoping out costs. But I think they would speak to us and say, "Look, should we do just two blocks, or should we do?" Uh, half of the back but all the way across those sort of things I think it will really help because it will allow us to really sort of focus our efforts where they're going to be the most productive and I think as well the fact that it is necessary or potentially at the back of stands will help as well because you get that noise kind of flowing forward and it's a lot easier I think to stand and sing yourself if someone behind you is standing and singing so I think physically it will help um, and hopefully all the conversations that we've had with the club so far have been quite positive in terms of them involving us and them getting our thoughts on how it will work best. Ultimately, I, I think they'll probably do the entire lower Barclay and just do one stand, but do it as the entire kind of lower tier. But yeah, we're, we're not quite at the stage yet where we know that where it will be or when they'll do it. But I think the club are pretty keen to do it as soon as possible. Yeah, it feels quite disappointing that there seems to be no interest uh, from Fulham at the moment in, in doing that as far as the latest FST reports go. But uh, we'll wait and see. And uh, I'm sure Tom and the rest of the Fulham Supporters Trust gang will, will carry on banging that drum for us. Um, Andrew, a, a fascinating insight to, to what's happened um, up at Cara. Uh, not that we'll ever uh, get to go to Cara Road again to see what it is, but you never know. One day, maybe in the 2050s, uh, we'll we'll help head back up to Norwich once we've stopped alternating divisions and, uh, mm-hmm. and we'll get to see what you guys have put in place. But uh, yeah, thanks for being on Fulhamish today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, and that is it for the podcast today. Uh, it'll be the Thursday club later in the week with myself, Peter and Jack. Hope you've enjoyed the special today. Um, I, I think we could have honestly spoken about it for, for two hours uh, today. And uh, thank you for all your questions and, and suggestions. And uh, sorry if we didn't get to all of them, but they were all very, very worthwhile. Uh, and that is exactly what the Fulham Supporters Trust is there to do. Uh, and Tom, actually probably a good moment just before we go, just to remind people um, that the Fulham Supporters Trust is always there for, for issues like this and uh, by joining you you definitely get your voice heard more than if you aren't a member yeah absolutely you can join via the Fulham Supporters Trust website it's only £10 and um, you know we'd be doing surveys uh, each year for the last few years that, that's coming up relatively soon and I'm pretty sure atmosphere and safe standing will be a big part of that so please when that comes along do get involved in that as well yeah definitely well Tom thanks for being on the podcast today thank you and Dom, uh, representing the the H five crew, thank you for being on today as well. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens for the rest of the season and uh, with the atmosphere, etc. Yeah, hopefully with the next home game being QPR, I think though, the the qualms about the atmosphere not being so good at Craven Cottage will definitely not be a problem at that twelve thirty kickoff on the sixteenth. Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening today. Thursday club up later in the week. Have a good start to it, Tommy Weiss.